All right. Well, it's awesome to see all you guys here. It's always amazing when we do an awesome gathering just to see everybody here in one place at one time. Um, I always really enjoy it. I love it because it's in the evening. Um, I just like coming in the evenings for whatever reason that is. So if this is your normal service, um, it's awesome. I love it too. Um, you probably realized I'm not Brian. Um, you know, I feel like he always has these really cool t-shirts that he wears. They're always like super hip and um, they're super styly. And I thought if I could find one, then there's no way this sermon wouldn't go really well. And uh, I just couldn't though. You know, I, I, everything in my house, I have four really young kids and everything in my house is either like wrinkled or dirty or I can't find it. So I'm lucky to have like a clean shirt on today. Um, so at any rate, you get me. My name is Mark Henderson. I'm one of the elders and pastors here at the summit, and I'm super pumped about tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about local mission and global mission, which uh, is something that I love talking about. And what's really cool is that we're going to be talking about this over the next couple of months. We're going to be talking about reaching our city, reaching people that are in our neighborhoods, on our blocks, and then also going to the nations and what that looks like. Um, and when we talk about global missions and when we talk about God's heart for the nations, I want to just kind of define and explain what that means because I think a lot of times we can throw a lot of words around and we're not quite sure what we're talking about. But when we talk about that, we're talking about people. We're talking about people in nations and people groups who don't have adequate access to the gospel. We're talking about people who don't know any followers of Jesus. We're talking about some who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And God loves these people. They need him, they need hope, they need a savior. And tonight, I think you're going to be really encouraged. Um, I think you're just going to be filled with confidence and the assurance of just who God is and this journey that he can have us on and how we can be a part of this. It's going to be cool because we're going to have a special guest coming up and talking to you as well. We're going to talk with her about her journey, so I'm excited for that. But I'm going to go ahead and read our text for tonight, and then uh, I'm going to share just a couple of thoughts with you. So we're going to be reading in Acts 17, verses 22 through 28. And there should be Bibles um, around the room for you. And it uh, should be on page 602 here. So I'll give you just a minute to find that spot. But uh, Acts 17, verses 22 through 28, uh, page 602. So verse 22 says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship... I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not that far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so what's incredible about this, I love this passage. It's a really cool part when Paul is talking to the people of Athens. There's a lot going on here. But I just want to present to you tonight's theme, which is God's nearness and how we see this brought out and why this matters when we talk about global missions, why we talk about God's heart for the nations. And I think the key comes at the end of verse 27. He makes this statement, and it says, yet he is actually not that far from each one of us. And that's an incredible statement when you think about it. He's saying that God, the creator of the universe, is really not that far off. 
And so how does Paul communicate God's nearness? Well, he goes back to creation. He expresses God as all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic. But I don't know about you, but that doesn't really seem right. You know, if we start talking about God as a creator, as an all-divine being, it doesn't really make you think that he's that near. If anything, it would exemplify his more being other than us, his being more divine than us, all of those things. And we have this tension between God's greatness and God's nearness. But we see this throughout the scripture. We see this expressed in the Psalms, for example. We see the fact that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin. So I think the question this begs is, well, then why does he draw near? Why does he care about the details of our life? And I think the answer comes at the beginning of verse 27, where it says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I think this gives us a perspective on God's heart for the nations. We see that God creates us, he creates the nations to seek, find, worship, and then enjoy him. And the best part about this whole thing is that he's not that far off. So the question is, like, how do we deal with this tension, this idea of God's greatness and his nearness? God is creator, all-powerful, divine, but totally righteous, and yet near to us and desiring to have a relationship with us. Well, I'm going to illustrate this in sort of a strange way. I hope you get this. Um, but at any rate, I work uh, in an office. Um, I volunteer here at the summit, and then I work as a water treatment engineer. And offices can be, you know, very interesting places. If you work in an office, you know about this. There's always drama going on. I feel like it's either really good or just really terrible. Um, and right now, we are in, under construction. All of the offices are getting moved around and everything like that. So that means that all of the bosses and kind of top-level managers are having to move out of their nice, you know, corner offices with great views, lots of room, conference um, tables and all that. And they're having to move into sort of the fiefdom with the peasants in cubicle land, right? Um, and what this practically means is that I have to work like right next to my boss. Uh, maybe you like your boss, maybe that would be great. You'd be able to like bounce ideas back and forth and chit chat or whatever. Um, but I don't really like it. Um, it just feels like, it just feels like there's a lot of pressure there, right? I feel like there's like somebody always watching me, like at any moment he's gonna pop his head over the cubicle and be like, what are you doing? And uh, I'm gonna be like, I'm doing work. Um, but you know, definitely my time on Facebook has decreased. Um, the amount of personal phone calls I make has gone way down. All of those things. And it's because I have my boss like right there. Um, and I think if we're not careful, this is the way that we can view God when it comes to global missions and when it comes to his heart for the nations. We see him kind of this boss of maybe, or a CEO of a nonprofit or something like that. Um, and we feel this pressure. And I think that greatness versus his nearness is a tension that we just can never resolve. And I think this is what can happen. What can happen is when it comes to telling people about Jesus, we start to view these relationships that we develop as kind of transactional. We're like looking to like unload information or something like that. Or we feel like we're checking some list or something like that. And what's more is we may look at missionaries, people who decide to go long-term, move their entire lives, their families overseas, and move to who knows what kind of conditions. We view them as kind of the star performers or kind of the... Uh, the best performing member with gold star on their chest. And we don't really, well, what do we do with that, you know? Um, but I want to present to you that what we see here, what we see Paul presenting is not even close to that at all. I want to blow that view up of who God is because that's not what Paul presents. In fact, Paul shows us a better way. We see how this passage ends with Paul describing God as our father. And I want to be sensitive here because I know some of you have had terrible fathers or no father at all. But I want to present God as the better father 
and all for you, loving, patient, merciful father who just enjoys his kids. You know, I heard this quote, and I'm not sure who it's by, so if you recognize it, you can tell me after. Um, But it says that we are more than mere soldiers in the army of a king, but truly sons and daughters in the arms of a father. And we've seen this as we went through Exodus and Romans. If you've been with us for about the last year or two, we've been journeying through the books of Exodus as well as through Romans. And we see this idea, even in the names of God that are used, how they demonstrate God's nearness, his intimacy with us, his loving character, and our enjoyment of him. So for example, in in, uh, Exodus, we see how God understands and sees the slavery and suffering of his people in Egypt. So he sends Moses, right? God goes with him as a pillar of smoke during the day and then as a pillar of fire during the night. God's people are camping in their wilderness. So guess what? God goes camping. He says, hey, build me a tent. Build me a fancy tent called the tabernacle. I will dwell with you in the desert. Moses then celebrates God as a song on his lips, the banner over his head, the rock beneath his feet. And then later on in Romans, we've been talking about God as our shepherd, our friend, our brother, even our daddy, our Abba Father. Paul talks about prophets like Elijah, to whom God does not appear in a hurricane force of utter glory, this gale of just righteousness, but as a still small voice, a whisper in Elijah's ear. So do you see the thread here? This is God's nearness being expressed. And I want to present to you that God's plan to reach the nations is to draw near to them and to draw near to us. God's not a boss or a top-level manager, CEO, drill sergeant, whatever, but a father. So God's nearness gives us assurance. The second point I want to make here is that God's nearness gives us confidence. And why is that? Why does God's nearness give us confidence? Well, I think it's rooted in the fact that God is already at work about his mission to reach the nations, and he's going to bring that to completion. So what does this mean? What this means practically is that he's already working. He's already working in the lives of your friends, coworkers, neighbors, family, on your block, in this city, in this neighborhood, and he's already at work across the ocean, in countries, in, among people groups, among every language. He's already working. And we see this example here in our text where Paul is talking to the people of Athens, and he calls out the work of God in their own culture. You know, let's go back to Moses just for a second. So God shows up, and he tells Moses, go save the people of Israel. And then how does Moses respond to that? Do you remember? Moses is like, you know what? I'm not your guy. Like, I'm not really good at leading. I don't really do public speaking. No organizational management skills. I kind of hate goal planning. I'm like old. I'm tired. And I hate camping. And then what is God's response to that? Does God say, look, don't worry. You can do it. You're like, you're, you're not as bad as you think. Like, you can, you can really lead these people. You know, you're not that bad at public speaking. And you have more skills than you think. I mean, you know Egyptian culture and language. You've been there before. That's not what God says at all, right? He gives them four words to tell the people of Israel. He gives them, I am who am. I am God. I love my people. They need me desperately. I will save them, and I will use you, Moses, to do it. God says to Moses, the only thing you need to to know is that I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be near. And so what does this practically mean then in our lives? Well, this is what I think it means, especially when it comes to missions, when we talk about that. It means that the pressure is off. It means that it's off our personality, our skills, our abilities, our strategy, our planning, productiveness, devotion, leadership potential. You get the idea, right? Um, 
And I'm not saying that we do not use our skills or our abilities. I do believe that God gifts us those very things to be used by him, to be used by him to see people come to Jesus. But the outcome is not dependent on those things. It's God's transforming work in our lives, and ultimately he's going to bring his plan to completion. You know, the great gift that God gives us in this mission as we go forward to see people's lives changed is not like a change in our circumstances or a change in personality, but it's a gift of his unchanging presence to calm our fears, to calm our anxiety as we start to step out. So the conclusion here is that God's nearness gives us confidence. God's nearness gives us confidence. The final point I want to make to you before we have uh, Nicole come up and talk to us a little bit is that God's nearness challenges us. So there's a challenge in all this, and the challenge is simply this, that God's plan is to use you. His plan is to use you. His plan is to use me. He gives us those tools first. He promises to be near. He entrusts us with confidence, and then he sends us out. And what's fascinating here in our text is that Paul doesn't use the words of like Old Testament prophets. He doesn't use the words of Jesus even here. He calls out the words of current, relevant thinkers and poets of the day. Presumably people that didn't even know who Jesus was. And I think the connection here is that God will use anybody, no matter who you are, no matter how jacked up we are, no matter how much we know, old or young, no matter if you've known Jesus for a day or for years, no matter if you're outgoing or you're an introvert, no matter if you're confident or shaky at best, no matter if you're skilled or unskilled. And it's not a challenge to be a better person. It's about what God is doing. And it's about what God wants to do in us and through us. It's about showing up and being open to his call. He may call us to get up, go out of our homes, cross our streets, talk to our neighbors. Um, or he may call us to get up, walk out of our front door, get on a plane, cross an ocean, and reach people who have never heard. So I think here's the challenge. And I've been, I've been praying this for me, and I've been challenging myself. And I've really been working through these own things because I need to grow in a lot of these. But I want to give you a few challenges I think there is a challenge here. The first challenge I want to give you is to cultivate a heart that loves God and then loves people of the world. And if, like, if you garden at all, or if you've been around a garden, or you've eaten something from a garden, you know that cultivating things takes a lot of work, right? You've got to prep the soil. You've got to like, plant the seeds in the right spot. You've got to do it the correct way. You've got to water it. You've got to prune it. You've got to protect it. You have to do all of those things. And it's the same way. When we talk about cultivating a heart and a love for who Jesus is, for who God is, for the worship of who he is, and then also cultivating a love and a heart for people of the world that need him, that maybe have never heard or don't have adequate access to the gospel. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is to pray for open eyes to see God at work, even in the small things. I've been challenged by this myself to see like the mundane, normal things of our life as being in many times divine appointments, that there is a reason there that God has a purpose for your life and that he's appointing those very things for you to be able to share who Jesus is. And the third thing that I want to challenge you with tonight is the boldness to step out, to be led by the Spirit, to take God at his word and to follow him in whatever that call might look like. So again, you know, we've talked about God's nearness tonight. I want you to see that thread through all of this. God's nearness giving us assurance. God's nearness giving us confidence. God's nearness as a challenge as well. And over the next few months, we're going to be talking about local missions, local ministry, global missions, um, and you're going to have opportunities and chances to be able to see how you fit into that. And I'm excited for you. And we're going to get practical, provide you with examples and ways you can begin to hear the call of God in your own life. And you know, my prayer is going to be that each one of you will encounter Jesus in a real way, 
and that your heart will be stirred in a really real way to see people meet Jesus, especially among the nations.